What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And now, at the risk of her own life, Esther approaches the king. The king holds out the scepter to Esther so she's not killed, and then the king asked Esther, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? And the king makes an unbelievable promise to her. He says, I'll give it to you to the half of the kingdom. You can have half the kingdom, Esther. I wonder who caused the king to hold out the scepter so that Esther would not be killed. God did. It's a secret. Don't tell anyone. So Esther's only request was that the king and Haman, amen. All right, come to a special banquet that she would arrange that night. And the king and Haman, whoa, uh, come to the banquet that night, and the king again renews his promise to her and says, Esther, I told you once, I'm telling you again, what is your request? You can have it up to half of the kingdom. And just think how tempting that was for Esther. You know, half the kingdom? Ooh, not bad. Distracting her. From her to forget her purpose, half the kingdom? But not Esther. She had one goal, and that was to save the Jewish people, and she just pushed aside that distraction as just a distracting temptation, just like the Lord Jesus did, just like the Lord Jesus did when he was in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. And it says in Matthew 4, 8, Matthew 4, 8, again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and say unto them, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. But just like Esther, the Lord Jesus pushed it aside, and the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 4.10, Matthew 4.10, then saith Jesus unto them, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He just brushed it aside, just like Esther did. And so Esther requested that the king and her request was that the king and Haman uh, come to the next night to another banquet that she was going to prepare. And so Haman, he's thrilled. 
He's absolutely thrilled that he's been so honored to be invited twice by the queen, he and the king and the queen. And so Haman, he goes home and he calls together his wife, he calls together his friends that are near to him, and he tells them about all the glory of his wealth and his children and how the king had promoted him, and he said that, that all it didn't count as long as Mordecai lives. He was miserable. He was miserable. So his wife and his friends told Haman that he would only feel good if he made a gallows 150 feet high. And those would be the gallows that Mordecai, he was to hang Mordecai on. You know how tall that is? That's half the height of the Coronado Bridge. And it was all to be built in one day. We need those construction people here. That's amazing. But they built it all in one day. It was a very fast construction. And that brings us to the end of chapter five. Well, what a night this night was. Chapter six is the night, the night after the second banquet. And what a night that was. The king left Esther's first banquet, first banquet, and he went to bed, but he couldn't sleep. The king couldn't sleep. Wonder it caused him not to sleep that night. I wonder, God did, but don't tell anyone. So what did the king do when he couldn't sleep? He called for the most boring thing to be read to him so that he could fall asleep, which were the chronicles of the palace, the daily chronicles of the palace of what happened. The king says, this will do it. Just what the doctor ordered, I should be asleep in no time. Not yet. And so they start to read, and they start to read in the chronicles with the history, the history there, And where do they start to read? About the history of the attempted assassination plot on the king. And that really woke the king up. And then it was all about how Mordecai had told Esther, who told the palace police, and that's how the king was saved. So then the king really woke up and he listened to that. I wonder who caused the readers to start reading at that place in the Chronicles so the king couldn't go to sleep. God did, but don't tell anyone. Now, so the king jumps up, and he says in, in, in Esther 6.3, Esther 6.3, the king said, what honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants that ministered unto him said, there's nothing done for him. Now, that really bothered the king, and he wondered what kind of honor, what kind of glory could be given to Mordecai for saving the king's life. And just at that moment, Haman approaches the king, and he's coming there to ask if he could just, before the extermination of Jews, if he could just go ahead and kill Mordecai right away. (laughs) And before he could ask permission to kill Mordecai, the king asked Haman, what would he do to the man that the king wanted to honor? Well, Haman... He figured that the king was asking how the king could honor Haman. So Haman smiled and really poured it on. And it said, this is verse 7, chapter 6, verse 7, 6, 7. Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighted to honor, let the royal apparel 
be brought, which the king uses to wear. And you can see Haman at this time saying to one of the servants, you gotta write all this stuff down. Make sure you got it all here. Royal apparel, you got royal apparel. Be brought, which the king uses to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon. You got that? The horse, the king, not any horse. The king, the, the horse the king rides on, okay. And the crown royal set upon his head. You make sure that's there too. The crown royal, you got it? Okay. And let this apparel and a horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes. Make sure it's a noble prince. And that they may array the man with all whom the king delighted to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him. And he says, now get these words down. This is what the, he's got to proclaim, you got it? Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And the king says, great idea. And he says, go do it to Mordecai. Oh, Haman. He's now the noble man that's forced to dress Mordecai in the king's clothes, put Mordecai on the king's horse, go in front of Mordecai and yell, this is what's done to the man who the king delights to honor. I wonder who caused Haman to come to that king just at that time when the king wanted to honor Mordecai. I wonder who caused Haman to do that. God did, but don't tell anybody. So Haman, he covers his head, he goes home miserable, he tells his wife and his friends, and just as he's going through this terrible story of what happened, the king's servants come to Haman to bring him into Esther's second banquet. That's the end of chapter six. Now, at the second banquet, again, the king asks Esther, what's your request? And again, he renews the promise. You can have what, uh, up to the half of the kingdom. What is it? And then Esther steps forth in a move of market bravery, courage, and she begs for her life. And she begs for the life of her people as she reveals that she's a Jew and how all the Jews, including her, are going to be killed. And the king asks, who's this person? Who is this person that wants to kill Esther and her people? And then the queen makes this firm declaration in chapter 7, verse 6. Chapter 7, verse 6, Esther said, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Yeah. And the king's infuriated. And he's beside himself. And he doesn't know what to do. And it's just too much to process at one time. So he leaves the room and he goes out into his garden to think about it. Meanwhile, Haman and Esther are, are, are there. And, and, and Haman is so afraid that he falls on the bed where Esther was lounging to, and, and, and to beg for his life. And just at that moment, the king returns and sees Haman on the bed next to Esther, and the king thought to himself, he's trying to rape Esther right in front of me. And Haman is then taken, and he's hanged on the very gallows that he had built for, for Mordecai. That's the end of chapter 7. Then the king was told that Mordecai was like Esther's father. Then the next day, Esther and Mordecai approach the king, and again, the king holds out the royal scepter to Esther so that she would not be killed, and she begs again for the life of the Jews. And the king told Mordecai, 
look, I don't know how to do this, but you write the new law because the old law has to be in effect and we can't take the old law away according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. So you've got to overwrite a new law. You've got to write a new law. And he promises that whatever you write, Mordecai, right away, and you go ahead and I'm going to give you the ring and you'll seal it and that'll be it. So Mordecai writes the new law and the new law is that all the Jews would be armed and the king's army would stand with the Jews and they would destroy all those who came to kill the Jews. And that would have happened on the same day, the 13th of Adar. So the couriers are sent out again and they go all the way from India to Ethiopia and they got to get there before the 13th of Adar. And all the people saw all this and they saw how God had made all this happen, how the Jews were so protected. And then we read in this chapter eight that it says many of the people became Jews. They were no fools. You know, they became Jews. Now that's the end of chapter eight. Now, the day came, the fateful day came, the 13th of Adar, and the Jews knew who the people were that were hated them and planning on killing them. So the Jews, along with the help of the king's rulers and lieutenants and deputies and officers, and they all killed all the people who came and hated the Jews and were going to kill the Jews. Just think of how the people saw those two sides. You know, whether well, there's the hater of the Jews, there's a, no wonder they be, many became Jews. And then in all the land, the Jews killed 75,000 haters of the Jews. And in Shushan the palace, they killed 500 haters of the Jews, including all of Haman's family. But even though the Jews were allowed to take the spoil, they were allowed to take the spoil. That was part of the decree. They were allowed to take the spoil of those they killed to show, but they didn't. They didn't do it. To show everyone they weren't in it for the money. This was all about survival. And when the king found out how many were killed in his palace, in his city there, he asked Esther if she had any more requests. And Esther asked for one more day. One more day, king. I just need one more day for the mop-up campaign. We didn't get them all. So I just need one more day. So the king grants her that. And an additional 300 haters of the Jews were killed in Shushan the palace on the following day, on the 14th of Adar. So in all the land... The Jews killed their enemies on the 13th day of Adar, and they had a great celebration on the next day, the 14th day of Adar. This may be very confusing for you, but that's because Jews wrote this. But in Shushan the palace, they had two days of killing, which was the 13th and the 14th, and so their celebration was on the 15th day of Adar, and that's why you see on a Jewish calendar two days for Purim. Anyway, and so these are the two days. Now, Mordecai then made a law. In chapter 9, he made an establishment. He says in chapter 928, 928, and that these days, the 14th and the 15th of Adar, these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation today, every family, our families, every province, every city, San Diego, and that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. That's why we're going through this account tonight, because he wrote that. And that brings us to the end of chapter 9. Now, that's why we celebrate Purim. That's why we celebrate Purim. Now, I just read there in Esther 9.28, Esther 9.28, these days of Purim should not fail among the Jews. And you may be thinking, well, as a Gentile, you might be thinking, well, then it's for the Jews. It's not for me. But if you're a Gentile, 
that's received the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been grafted in. You've been grafted in, like it or not. You've been grafted in to the natural Jewish olive tree, and now you're counted by God as a Jew. And that's what it says in Romans eleven seventeen. Romans eleven seventeen. And thou being a wild olive tree, some of you look very wild, and thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakes of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. And then Galatians 3.29, Galatians 3.29 says, if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And Romans 2.28, Romans 2.28 explains about what a Jew really is, a real Jew, an inward Jew, Romans 2.28. He's not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit. So as a Gentile, who has received the Lord Jesus Christ, you're like those that we referred to in Esther 8.17. Esther 8.17, many of the people of the land became Jews. You're them. And, and in Christ, you have become a true Jew in the heart, and therefore Purim is your holiday today. Now, from that time on, Mordecai was next to the king, and he was great among the Jews. And Mordecai spent the rest of his life speaking peace to the Jewish people. And that brings us to the end of chapter 10, which brings us to the end of the book. Now, there's many, many lessons that can be learned from the book of Esther. And one is to see, as we've been emphasizing here, the concealment, the concealment, the things that were concealed. Remember, the, the word Esther really means concealed in Hebrew. I mean, God caused, what was concealed? God caused Esther to be adopted by Mordecai. God caused Esther to be beautiful. God caused Esther to be chosen as a candidate for the queen. God caused the king to fall in love with Esther. God caused Mordecai to overhear the plot to assassinate the king. God caused the king to not sleep. God caused the king to hold out the scepter to Esther. And God did all of this because God saw way in advance that Haman was going to come up with, yeah, okay, we have to do that now would plan the extermination of the king. And in the same way, God made great preparation for you and I to be saved from Satan. Let's do that one, for Satan. Right. <laughs> plan to exterminate us in hell. And God prepared way in advance, as it says in Revelation 13.8, Revelation 13.8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So just as God caused all we saw, it's tonight, that happened in advance to save the Jews. So before the foundation of the world, God planned that the Lord Jesus Christ would die for our sins and be our remedy. But the other great lesson in the book is this lesson of the golden opportunity. The golden opportunity that Esther had when she took it and she risked her life. You know, that reminds me of another, another event, and it's another concealed event. It's not commonly known. It's not commonly known. And this is the event of how Israel really did become a nation, how Israel really did become recognized by the United Nations. And this is a, this is a sitar. This is a concealed story. And as we're approaching soon, May 14th, 2018, which will be the 70th anniversary of the birth of the state of Israel, here's the real story behind the story about how Israel became a nation and was approved by the United Nations. There was a person. 
There was a person just like Esther, only it wasn't a woman, it was a man. And I don't know how he looked, but he was a short little man. And his name was Eddie Jacobson. How many of you have ever heard of Eddie Jacobson? No one's ever heard of Eddie Jacobson. Eddie Jacobson. Well, what happened in 1948 was that it was the U.S., and it was the president of the U.S. who made the decision. It was the U.S. who cast the deciding vote that would have made, that made the U.N. recognize Israel as a state of nation. That president was President Harry Truman. If the U.S. had not cast that vote, Israel would not have been a recognized nation by the U.N. Okay, so what's the story behind the story? Well, before becoming president, Harry Truman, and think about Esther and all the preparations, Harry Truman and Eddie Jacobson were business partners together. And they owned a store where they sold suits. Remember Harry Truman with his haberdash suits? They sold suits. And their business was called Jacobson and Truman Suits. That was the name of their business, Jacobson and Truman Suits. Eddie Jacobson and Harry Truman were very close friends. And I mean, you gotta be close friends when your business goes bankrupt, and that's what happened. And, and as a matter of fact, there was a time when Eddie told Harry Truman, he said, Harry, we can't just walk away from our creditors. Even though we've gone bankrupt, we've got to pay them off. Well, Harry Truman went on to bigger and better things, and he became president of the United States. And Eddie Jacobson used to come and visit his friend, Harry Truman, in the White House. And he was allowed to come in the back door of the White House and go right into the Oval Office because they were good buddies, they were good friends. And the vote was coming up in the UN and the majority was against, against Israel becoming a nation, and the deciding vote was coming down to the U.S. And President Truman had already made the decision to vote against Israel becoming a nation. He had already made that decision, and it was known, it was known that the U.S. was planning on voting against the statehood of Israel. And Eddie Jacobson was like Esther, and he went in to see his friend Harry Truman, and he came into the Oval Office, and he sat in front of President Truman, and he didn't say a word, he just cried. He sat in front of him and he cried and cried and cried. And the only words that he said to President Truman was, Harry, my people need a home. My people need a home. And President Truman got mad and swore and said, bleep, Eddie. And he picked up the phone and he, and he changed the vote to yes for the state of Israel. That was the deciding vote that gave Israel statehood. All because little short Eddie Jacobson rose up like an Esther and pleaded for his people. And you go, there's no statue for Eddie Jacobson in Israel. You won't find one. You won't find a short little statue for Eddie Jacobson. No. But just like Esther, he saw what Mordecai said. Eddie Jacobson saw, thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That was the time for Eddie. That was the time for Esther. They didn't miss their opportunities. And that raises the issue for us. Just like Esther, just like Eddie, we have golden moments of opportunity to bring the gospel to the lost, to save, save the Jewish people by, from Esther, save the Jewish people for the state of Israel by Eddie Jacobson. We have golden opportunities to save souls by bringing them the gospel. And we need to be on the lookout, on the lookout for those times as moments when God will bring us to that person for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Esther, and thank you so much for Mordecai, and thank you so much that for Eddie Jacobson, Lord, 
and how they rose to their occasion. They saw their opportunity and they seized it. And help us, Lord, not to be asleep, but also to look for those opportunities to bring the life-saving gospel to the people so they can be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.